0: Everyone and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast, brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show we have Morag Barrett, who is the founder and CEO of Sky Team and the best-selling author of *Cultivate: The Power of Winning Relationships* and the *Future-Proof Workplace*. Thanks so much for joining us today, Morag.
1: Thanks, Matthew. I'm really excited for the conversation.
0: I want to kick us off on the topic of leadership development. You have wrote and spoke frequently about the topic of leadership in the 21st century. In your estimation, what are the key skills that leaders need to develop to succeed in the current environment?
1: So I'll give you the three things and then I'll give you the context, because when I think about the research for both my first book and the future proof workplace. The themes that really emerge for me as to what makes a successful 21st century leader is, firstly, it's people first and relationships. Secondly, a need to develop our empathy muscles and certainly trust and the pandemic when we're working and leading at a distance means high trust is critical. And the context for those three, Matthew, is that back in my first career, my first iteration, I was in finance where I remember being told it's not personal, it's just business. And of course, it was all about the numbers and the spreadsheet. And the thing about cash flow forecasts, having spent 15 years and balance sheets and profit and loss and analysing them, is you can put whatever you like in the forecast, but the proof is in the doing. And too many companies are still rooted in the 19th century industrial revolution approach to leadership, which is, What do we do and how do we organise? What do we manufacture? What's the service we give? What systems processes do we have? The business, how we make money. What they aren't, or at least the least thoughtful leaders are paying less attention to is the people side, the how business gets done, the who we are and how we relate. And that's why I pivoted from numbers into leadership and executive development. That's what brought me to Colorado and working there with leaders from more than 20 countries and on four continents. And ultimately to two and a half books, the third book will be out in October of 22.
0: Now, normally I like to talk to our guests about their work and then talk a little bit about themselves as a leader, but I kind of want to go to the a little <laughs> bit about you as a leader, because you you led me somewhere with that answer. When you were thinking about making the change from the numbers and finance to the work you're doing now, how did you balance the risk? Or talk us through what were you thinking about in that moment? How did you decide to make that leap and make that change in the career trajectory that you were on?
1: Uh, So there were two bunny hops because there's two iterations because there's the move into leadership development within a corporate environment, and so that happened initially in the banking area where. Um, the bank was actually, you, know, you can imagine in England, 400 plus years of history, literally things were carbon copied and triplicate paperwork. And so they introduced Kaizen training and they needed Kaizen facilitators. And that is now Six Sigma here um, in the in the 21st century. And so I volunteered, I'd never done facilitation at that time. I didn't know what Kaizen was, but I got trained in it. It turns out I was very good at facilitation, making it engaging and um, relatable for everybody and then working with leaders in the branches to implement those concepts. And as part of it, I also got to coach bank managers who at that time were old enough to be my dad and they were all Mr. So and so because it was still very gender biased one way. And I found that this leadership development piece It's not rocket science, but it may as well have been to many of those leaders. And again, my ability to connect at a human level and provide pragmatic um, solutions and how could they show up differently to build a sense of belonging within their branch seemed to come naturally. So I pivoted there. So it felt lowish risk, but I went back to school. I did a master's degree to get my theoretical knowledge underway whilst also pregnant with twins, moving um, house and becoming a bank manager myself in order to have both the theoretical experience and the practical experience of running a business and a large team. So the first move, relatively low stress because it was within the company I knew and who knew me but the second and third bunny hops a little bit more scary each time. The second hop was leaving the bank and joining an American telecom company mm-hmm. and essentially having to start again from scratch and doing that at a time of the dot-com bubble where I went from having a team in London to then having to report to a team in the US who didn't know me and having to prove my worth and getting having to roll up my sleeves and really get down and doing it. And then ultimately being invited to move to Colorado away from family, no friends, with now three young sons under five, my husband and I, and starting again from scratch in a country that whilst we speak a similar language is very different. So that became a little bit more tense because it's everything from going to the grocery store and not recognizing it, let alone going into work and dealing with cultural nuances that are subtly but importantly different. I remember one conversation with my boss where I was going to go and give feedback to a colleague and I said, well, leave it with me. I'll go and have a word with Matthew. And she was like, no, 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 don't, don't don't be too hard on him. And I was like, what the heck? But of course in American to go and have words plural with somebody means you're in trouble in England to say, I'm going to go and have a word with somebody singular, it's just, I'm going to have a conversation. So that, you know, there's a learning curve that makes you feel vulnerable. And then the third bunny hop, the scariest of them all, was deciding to start Sky Team. And I remember the conversation with my husband at the time. It was like, OK, I think I've run out of excuses. Now's the time to start Sky Team. We'll give it a year and see what happens. And now here we are 15 years later and you and I are talking on this podcast. But that really, the, the move to Sky Team was one of the more challenging and learning crucible moments Whilst also having the safety net of knowing that my family had my back. Mm. And what was the worst that would happen? I could go back to corporate.
0: So you now have the benefit of of hindsight. And if I if I asked Mm. you to tell yourself 15 years ago as you were thinking of making that, what you described as the riskiest move, what sort of advice would you give? What did you spend too much time worrying about? What did you not focus on enough? What are the one or two pieces of advice you would give yourself before you made that third and most crucial bunny hop?
1: So I'm going to read you now the final paragraph of this LinkedIn post that I mentioned in the green room that I'm writing, because I think it answers this question and the advice is to the people reading this article, if I publish it and to me, which is don't wait. Hmm. Don't fall for the myth in this case, in this article that you need a large following in order to be successful. Instead, go first, believe in yourself and live your best life based on your definition. And so my advice back to me 15 years ago, or my advice back to me 30 years ago when I was starting my career, is believe in yourself. Live your life define success by your measures, not what was happening in the 20th century career path, not what your mum and dad did, not what your best friend is doing. What truly lights you up? And be bold, be big, and go for it. And I think if I'd been bolder and gone for it sooner, Hmm. it would have been interesting to see the ripple effects, but no regrets, but now's the time. And this is my year for being bold, going bigger and taking my own medicine.
0: I love that. And one of the questions that we get probably most frequently from our audience is about how do the the guests on our show, how do you organize your day? Or how do you think about goal setting or planning? Or what does... A typical week or day look like? Do you have any tricks that help you be more successful? You now have 15 years under your belt of, of getting to a point where you feel successful, you feel very stable and secure in this. What does goal setting look like? What does a week look like? How do you set yourself up for success now?
1: So I'm a shiny object person. I love brainstorming and ideas. So I love interruptions and iterations. And that has made me very successful but it also has may resulted in me running very fast on a hamster wheel, trying to keep everything in motion. And so this year, interestingly, that you asked this, Matthew, there's a couple of things that I'm doing. One is learning to say no, either no or no, not yet, or no in a different format, but no, versus just giving it an unqualified yes. Hmm. And that comes back to having goals around what are my priorities. And so for this year, I have four priorities And for those listening to the episode, what you couldn't see is I glanced up on my microphone arm. I have four sticky notes. One is Sky Team and the health of myself, my team and the business that we are running. One is um, a major client that I am looking after in or partnering with in New York. The second is 100 Coaches, the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Group, because that is challenging me. It is elevating me. It is my learning journey right now. So anything that comes in these three, Sky Team, this big client and the 100 coaches is a, a yes and a priority. And then the fourth element is that third book, You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up as One, which will be published in October. And so I started with the post-it notes in line of sight so that in theory, I could be saying no to anything that didn't align. And my third technique that I'm using so that my team can kick my ass when needed is that I now color-code every meeting on my calendar to match those four stickies. Hmm. And so if the meeting I'm having doesn't, and this is blue, this is going with book and profile, and I can link anything to anything, but if it doesn't match those four, then my team have explicit permission to say, hey, Morag, you're supposed to say no, behave. Huh. So that's, that's the bit. I'm trying to be focused and prioritized just because I can do everything or I like doing a lot of things doesn't mean I should.
0: All right. I want to go all the way back to the the (laughs) questions that I had planned to ask more about some of the work that you do. And one thing that I came across when I was reviewing your work was your commentary on these four questions that determine the health of every business relationship. Mm. Can you walk our listeners through those four questions and why they're so powerful?
1: Oh, we'll do. So the four questions first off is, can I count on you to do your stuff and get your job done and your stuff back to me on time so I can get my stuff done? transactional reactive table stakes. Question number two is, can I depend on you? That's the, can I depend on you to go the extra mile? Uh, Give me warnings of impending disaster, fix the typo in the spreadsheet or the typo in the PowerPoint presentation, whatever it might be, do you have my back? And these are my banking table stakes transactional questions. You do your job, I do my job and we will be okay. Okay isn't enough. We need in this rate of change and in this environment to get yes to the next two questions. And the next one is, do I care about you? Not in a group hug, trustful sort of way, but do I care about you as a human being more than just a job title? Do I know your story? Um, Do I know that you're going on paternity leave or just back from paternity leave? And do I remember and just check in on how it's going? And then the question number four is, do I trust you? And there's two parts then that follow on. So count on you, can I depend on you? Do I care about you? Do I trust you? And the last two are transformational. That's all about how business gets done and our relationship at work. And if you think about it, when we all hung out, mostly hung out in three dimensions in the office, they may have been easy yeses. Or if we were having an off day, I would see you at the water cooler or I would pass you on my spidey sense would say, ooh, Matthew seemed a bit quiet, check in on him and I would. But as soon as many of us ended up working at a distance, those questions have become at best four maybes or at worst four no's. Because count on me, well, I'm working at my kitchen table. I don't have access to all the systems. Yeah, I can just about hold it together. Depend on me, well, I've also got three kids under five that need to get onto their preschool websites and stuff. So no, I don't have time to go the extra mile. Do I care about you or do you care about me? How would I know? The only time you Zoom me is to check in on what I'm doing, not how I'm doing. And therefore, trust is eroded too. And so anything that we can be doing in the 21st century leader to be intentional, to make deliberate choices as to how we show up and how we feel and how we make others feel in our presence, whether it's through the camera or in person, that's how you transform organizations and teams, and that's how you get to the big results.
0: You you hit on it a little bit there, and the, the other topic that I definitely wanted to talk about is you wrote something about creating connection in a time of disconnection, and how do you create environments that result in collaboration and a sense of community, what can leaders that are early on in their career do to cultivate those collaboration and community type of elements if they're not seasoned leaders or they don't have a lot of experience or maybe they're later in their career and they just have no experience working in a remote first environment what are some of those things that they should do to make sure that their teams feel like they're showing up as as a leader
1: so technology does help let's say put your camera on even if you don't keep it on all the time Allow some time for camera off so that we can actually see each other. Slack is great. We have a gratitude channel at um, Sky Team that one of our team members started. So for the just chit chat and the just checking in, hey Matthew, can you answer this question? Fabulous. But if you stop at only technology, I'm sorry, the great resignation is yours. Hmm. Instead, we have to slow down so allowing no meeting times when we get onto a zoom call spending a few minutes for that informal chit chat that used to happen the how are you doing at sky team we start with ripples and joys so something that's made you laugh personally or professionally since we last got together ripple something a success or acknowledgement either for a client or how we helped each other that just bring a sense of belonging and we need to make it okay to talk about the sense of isolation that working out of our bedrooms at a distance is causing for so many folks. Um, we are doing research for the new book, You, Me, We, and we have an ally mindset profile that the listeners of this podcast are invited to attend. We'll put the information in the show notes, but um, 20% of the leaders who've responded said that they had no one, not one friend at work, no one that they could call on in times of uncertainty or doubt and can you imagine that's the pandemic that's collaboration and teamwork that isn't happening if we don't feel like we can show up and say hey i don't know how do i could you give me your best help on this project that isolation and disconnect is what's happening even though the camera and zoom gives us the illusion of being more connected because we can just dial in and see each other it's actually acting as a barrier when we aren't being intentional about how we show up
0: as a final question before we shift to the rapid fire questions that I ask everybody, what is your book writing process? What what does that look like? You've mentioned a few times this third book that you're working on. What does the process look like for you to decide that it the topic is worthy of a book and then actually go forth and, and conquer the book?
1: Um, so it's it's harder than birthing a child. These are now, I have six children, three boys and three books. But the process is you can ask, like naming it was a nightmare. You ask three people for an opinion and you get 10 answers back. So it goes back to my comment earlier. You have to believe in yourself and live your best life. If you have a message you want to share, share it. Share it on a blog and see what reactions you're getting. Build up to the book. And then the collaborative process of writing is just that. It's sitting down and talking through, do we see the concepts like abundance and generosity or courage and vulnerability? How do Eric, Ruby and I interpret and live that? And then how do we distill that down into one voice that represents all three of us in the process? So it was a fabulous experience learning to write from three voices. Sure. And I'm excited to hear the feedback. We're getting some advanced reader feedback right now, which is outstanding. But Hear the feedback from leaders at all levels in organisations and at all stages of their career as to how they can show up as an ally, as their best selves, even if circumstances or other people are pushing your buttons and trying to cause you to be at your worst. We get to choose in this moment to be an ally or to be a rival. And to be honest, being an ally, that is the best way for everyone to succeed.
0: Well, that is a wonderful spot to shift to the final rapid fire questions that I get to ask all guests. So question number one is this, if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be?
1: People first, because I hyphenated it.
0: (laughs) And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
1: It came from Ruby Vesely, my colleague, and she told me that in any relationship, you have to be all in. So whether it's your career relationship, your personal relationships, be all in.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Morag. Where can our listeners find out more about you?
1: So they can go to our website, skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.com, named for the Isle of Skye on the West Coast of Scotland. And please connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, if you message me, it is me that will respond and I will respond. So thank you, Matthew.
0: Well, thank you for all of the great insight. And as always, thanks to our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims, and you can find our organization at Ability.com. I want to thank Morag again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.
1: This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.Ability.com or by searching for ability leadership development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini-MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We wanna thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.